Well, we have some laughter with that, so I would assume that that means there are a handful of us in here, at least, that have occasionally had to go and say, I'm sorry, right? And we put it in those quotes. I, am I using it right? I, I'm with Joe on that one. I'm with Joey. I, I'm not certain if I'm using it right with all that. Hey, thank you. It is wonderful to have you here this week. Um, we are so glad that you were out with us this Sunday morning. And if you are joining us this morning, um, we are in week three of a series that we have called Rules of Engagement. And part of Rules of Engagement is the idea that we are working through conflict. Um, I, I wrote this down earlier, and if I can remember, I'll even, uh, I'll even say it again later, but my mind, it doesn't always work real well. Um, so if you think of it, blueberries, I think that's supposed to be good for my mind, something along those lines. But anyway, um, we sang this morning, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. And one of the things that I always, uh, I, I, love, I, I love coming together and I love singing. Our band does a great job every week. And I think there are a number of you that love that. Others, they don't always love singing. They're, they're here and they, they're, they're thrilled to be here. Um, and like to hear others sing and like to hear the band, but they may not enjoy singing as much. But I thought about those words as we were singing that. You take what the enemy meant for evil. When it comes to conflict in your life, when it comes to conflict in my life, the enemy wants to use conflict for evil. He wants to destroy your life through conflict. He wants to destroy the relationships around you through conflict. When conflict arises, what do we all know? We get angry. And what we learned in week one about, uh, about um, rules of engagement is that it's not about winning, right? But rather it's about pleasing God. And one of the comments that we had from that whole idea was that sinful people, when we are sinned against, we want to sin back. If somebody does me wrong, my first thought isn't, what good can I do for them? How can I be kind to that person? And we talked about that in week one, right? We get caught off driving, our first response isn't, oh, bless your heart. Maybe if we're from the South, it's, oh, bless your heart, because I think that means a little something differently there, right? We're a little more bold up here in, in the North, and we sometimes express our opinions in other ways, right? Our first response when we are sinned against, our first response in conflict isn't to look at the other person and say, you're such a wonderful individual, I, I love you. Um, we may do that up until the time our kids are about three months old. No, no, a little older than that, right? But at some point, there's that break where when sinned against, we want to sin against them. And we need to remember that when we are in the midst of conflict, it's about pleasing God. So that very idea that the enemy will take, all right, the enemy, he wants to take evil, but God will take that and he will turn it to good. God is in the, is in the, in the business of taking your life and my life and transforming it to be more like him. And in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty, God will use that to change yours and my life. So if we look at conflict, maybe we need to look at it a little bit differently and realize I can, I can honor God in this. How many of you are now saying, oh, He's saying pursue conflict. I like that idea. I'm one of the guys that likes conflict. So I want to chart, if that's what you're thinking, that's not what I meant to say, right? There we go. So we're not, we're not looking for conflict, but we want to deal with it in a biblical and we want to deal in a proper manner. We want to, we want to remember that it's about pleasing God. Um, Paul, in, in the book of Romans, he told us that if it is possible, and that's saying that 
Often it is possible, but there are times where it may not be possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as we go through these rules of engagement, that's what we want you to remember. That's what we want to be thinking about in our life. Number two, rule number two of, um, of the rules of engagement is we need to own our part. And we looked at this last week, and I would encourage you, if you missed that, you can go back, you can bring that up online, you can listen to that. Um, but we need to own our part. In conflict, it is so easy. And as a matter of fact, my first response often is to look at you and see what you've done, and I justify myself. Well, my reaction's correct, right? Because really, they did me wrong. We need to own our part, because just because somebody else sins against us does not give us a free pass to then sin. It's not a, it's not a just, hey, freedom, you get, hey, you were sinned against, you can go do whatever you want now. We all need to be aware of that. We see that every day in our lives, every day in our society, right? Sinned against, it's okay for me to go and sin against you. James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it this way, right? When he when talking about our sin, he said, what causes fights and quarrels? What causes these fights? What causes the quarrels? What causes the problems? What causes the conflict that take place among us? Where do they come from? They come from our desires that are at battle within us. They, they battle within us. They rage within us. We've got this, we've got this issue. Why? Because we're sinful individuals. We're being transformed. We're being changed by the power of Jesus Christ who is at work in our lives to make us more and more like him. But I don't know if you have arrived, please let the rest of us know because the rest of us are still on that step-by-step process. And sometimes it's a step forward and another step backwards in my life. And I'm willing to bet it's similar in your life because sometimes I get it right and the very next moment I get it oh so wrong, right? Yeah, we catch that. Um, so this week, what we want to do is we want to talk about the rule, rule number three of rules of engagement. Rule number three of rules of engagement. And it's this, we need to apologize. By the way, week three, we are still dealing with us. Week one, we dealt with, with the whole idea of conflict. Week two, we dealt with us that we need to own our part. And if you're here saying, it's time to get to the other person because the other person's at fault here, right? It's time to, how do we correct them? Well, wait till next week, all right? I keep throwing that carrot out there. Next week, next week, right? But, but with this week, we're going to address this idea that we need to apologize. We need to go and we need to seek. We need to ask for forgiveness. Now, in many of our minds, you're thinking, but they're the bigger problem. It may be. But if we are wrong at all in the situation, right? If we own 10%, if we own 15%, 20%, whatever that percentage may be, we still need to own up to that. By the way, this one, this apologize, seek forgiveness, this is this is so very hard to do in life. Because here's the situation. If you actually own up to the idea that you're sinful in this, and if you actually own up to the idea that, you know what, I need to go and ask for forgiveness, and you're thinking, you know what, it's at least 50-50. I'm going to be generous here. and I'll, I'll even be generous and say it's 50-50. 50% me, 50% him or her, right? And, and, but I'm going to own up my part, and I'm going to go and seek forgiveness. The difficulty in this is that it takes a lot of humility because the other person, they may not respond well back to you. As a matter of fact, they may accept your act of forgiveness and you might be sitting there thinking, 
right? You sit there delayed waiting and it may never come. And now you're even more mad. Now more conflict has risen up, right? Now all of a sudden, what you owe me? And you want to write them a letter? You want to send them a text? You want to make sure that they're aware? We need counseling. Let's get in there to counsel so I can tell the counselor what they've done to, what they've done to me so that they can tell them that they need. Or the pastor. Let's find the pastor. The pastor can tell them that they've done wrong so that they know that they need to, they need to seek forgiveness from me. Have any of you ever been there? There we go. There's a handful of us, right? So as we look at this part, as we look at this idea of we must seek forgiveness, we need to apologize. I want you to be aware that this is one of those moments where we need to look in the mirror and take our responsibility, knowing that the other person may never take responsibility. We need to do what right, what is right, and we need to be good with that. And it's hard. It is so difficult when you do that, but we need to be willing to do that. And this morning, we're going to take a look, we're going to walk through an example, really, by taking a look at a passage in Scripture of an individual who gives us an excellent, an excellent view of confession. But not only does he give us an excellent view of confession, he gives us an excellent view of sinning and sinning big time. All right, it's not just one of those little minor sins, all right? This morning, we are going to look at one of the big ones, right? We keep them on lists, right? Well, this is just a little bit, so I can just tell them. You know, I, I stepped on her pinky toe, all right? I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, all right? It's okay. But uh, we, we, right, we, we bring them right up from the low, from the small, right up to the, okay, this is a middle one. I just sinned a little bit, so this one brings a little bit more of a sorry and an apology, right up to the major ones, right? Right up to those spectacular sins that you're like, whoa, you really need to do something here. Um, we're going to look at David. And if you're aware of David, there's some things that you know about David. You know his life prior to being the king. But if you know about his life, if you are somebody that has looked at the life of David after being a king, this man who did a wonderful job, who was brave in all that he did, had courage in all that he did. When we think about David the king, there's one event that comes to mind. If you've been around, um, if you've been around scripture all your life, if you've been around church for a portion of your life, the aspect of David being king that comes to our mind is his sin with Bathsheba. And what was that sin? That sin was that David is at home while his men are out at war. And he was in his and he and he was in and he was in his palace and he was overlooking the kingdom, maybe just out for a nice evening stroll on the roof, taking a look around and seeing how everybody's doing. Maybe he had just gotten up from prayer. We don't know what he had been doing. Maybe he wasn't pursuing anything wrong. But all of a sudden he sees a woman bathing, beautiful, and he's the king. What do kings do? Whatever they want, right? There you go. When you're king, you do whatever you want. And what does David do? He, he has an affair with this lady. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, he's like, oh no, we're going to be caught. He decides that he wants to cover it up. So not only does he sin, one of the big ones, right? Adultery. All right. But he decides I'm going to cover it up. So how does he say I'm going to cover it up? Well, I'll send out a note. I'll get her husband back from the war. He'll come back from the war. And when he comes back from the war, um, I'll just send him home. Oh, problem taken care of. Nine months later, she has a baby. Oh, I was home back then. Okay, well, everything's good, right? Nobody needs to know. Problem is when you're the king, 
There are servants. There are people all around, and they do know. They do see. They are aware of what happens. But David's the king. Remember, he can do whatever he wants. People want to talk, they can be killed. He can take care of whatever he wants. Well, her husband comes back, and he doesn't go to his house, but rather he says, how can I go home and sleep with my wife when my men are out at battle? So he just sleeps in the doorway there, and he does not go home to see his wife. David hears of that. So what's David think? Phase two of plan, right? I'll get him drunk. Once he's drunk, he'll definitely go. If you're like, what? That's really, yeah, read it. It's in 2 Samuel chapter um, 9, 10, 11, and 12, all right? Nine, uh, 10 and 11. If you want to read it, read that. He brings him out the next day. Hey, let's have a meal. Get some drunk and says, hey, go home. See your wife. She's there. She's waiting for you. Even in that state, he still will not go home to his wife and instead sleeps again. How can I go home when my men are out at battle? So David has to step to phase three of his plan. Remember, these are the major sins that we're talking about, right? He's an adulterer now. He's trying to cover it up. And in the process now, he decides, I am going to send a note with him. And he's going to go out and it's going to say, hey, put it this man at the front of the battle, at the hottest part, the most difficult part of the battle. And once he's up there, everybody else back away from him so that he gets killed. It happens. The man's killed. David says, problem solved. Bathsheba, your husband has been killed in battle. Just come on over to my house, over to the palace, and you will now be with me. You'll be one of my wives. That's what David did. That's one of the major, major sins. Can you imagine that? We sit around and we're like, I'm not that evil, right? We sit there and say, I'm not that bad. But David is going to give us an example of how it is that we need to respond when we're in the midst of conflict, when we are in the midst of sin, when we are in the midst of doing wrong, we need to own our part. And this is what takes place in that from there forward. And this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And this is how it goes. The Lord sent Nathan to David. By the way, there are some fun things that are taking place. I would encourage you to read these, chapter, these chapters if you have time later today. Because this whole idea of sent is so interesting right here in this passage. Just in this quick aside, David had been doing the sending all earlier. He'd been sending his men here. He'd been sending his men there. He was, he was doing all of a sudden. Now all of a sudden, God is just going to take one time and God's going to say, and we're going to be told that the Lord sent. Suddenly, David, who was the king who had all the power, we now see that the Lord is going to do a sending and it's only going to take one sending to take, to take care of the problem. And so when the Lord sent Nathan to David, when he came to him, he said, and he's going to paint this story for David. Nathan paints the story for him. And he says this, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large, right? The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Nathan goes on to say, he raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Is Nathan a great storyteller here when he presents this to David? He's informing him of how much he loved this little ewe lamb, right? It was like a daughter to him. He goes on to tell the story. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Right? The rich man has a lot. 
And he looks around, no, I'm not going to do that. But instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David's natural response, right? His response is just like yours and my response if we saw something like this happen. His response was David burned with anger. And when we hear that story and when we see somebody oppressed, when we see somebody that, is, that, that, that has so little taken from by somebody that is rich, we think the same thing. We get, we get so frustrated with it. But David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Think about this situation in your life and in my life. I am very good at looking around and seeing the problems in other people's lives. As a matter of fact, I'm almost an expert at it. All right? If you're anything like me, right, you can look around and you can catch other people's problems. I, I, I know what's going on with them. I could solve their problem in a heartbeat. Right? We're all good at that. We can see that. David sees this. He hears this story, and he's well aware of what needs to take place. There needs to be restoration. This individual needs to be beaten down. He needs to be taken care of. David is furious. And remember, he's the king. Nathan, just tell me who it is. I can take care of the problem. I am the king. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Right? It's so easy to see the problem in other people's lives. It's so easy to see it in your life. I can pick it out and I can solve that for you. It is so hard when I need to see it in myself. Why? Because I have a lot of excuses. I have a lot of reasons for the way I do things, for the things that I do. I have reasons, and they're good reasons. And as a matter of fact, I can probably, I've been around church long enough, I can probably bring out a couple of scriptures to defend why I, why I can do what I do. Matter of fact, I can probably go back and find a couple of pastors someplace along the line, some messages somewhere that I can pull something out, and I can point out to you that it's your sin that is the problem. We're good at that. You see, when we're in the midst of conflict, and this is the part that's difficult for us, it's the part that's difficult for me, it's the part that's difficult for you. What we need to do when we blow it even if somebody else has helped us blow it. Well, they made me mad. We need to be individuals who are ready to confess. Right? What, what do we do when we blow it? It's called confession. When you and I blow it, when I miss the mark, I need to be one that is ready to confess. It's just who I need to be. I don't want to do that. A little bit later in that same chapter, right here is David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. How do you think that felt? My sin exposed. By the way, from here forward, there's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot of struggles that take place in David's life, right? in David's family as a result of his sin, as a result of what he did, there are going to be some consequences that take place in his life. But David, in all of this, gives us one of the greatest passages in Scripture when it comes to sin and how you and I need to respond. 
You see, David wrote a poem or a, a song, and it's, we find it in Psalm 51. And David responded. This was his response when caught in his sin. This was David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Have you ever been there in your life where there is a point where you're there like, you know what, I know this other person has done me wrong, but my response has not been right. And Lord, I need you to have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, right? I need you, Lord. I need your grace. I need your love to shine into my heart, into my life. David goes on and he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David was aware of his sin. He was aware that he had blown it. And when it comes to confession in your life, when it comes to confession in my life, we need to realize that, you know what? I have blown it. We see this a lot in, in our lives, right? We see this, as a matter of fact, we, we see this around us all the time. If you pay attention to politicians, if you pay attention to people that are in the public limelight, we see people who apologize, right? Apologize for what they've done. And what I want to do is, you see, not only is it important for us that we need to, that we need to go about confession, we need to realize that there are ways that we should not confess. As a matter of fact, I want to look at five ways that we can, five things that we can call non-apologies. Are you aware of non-apologies? They're what politicians frequently do. I don't want to pick on one, but there's a rather prominent one in New York right now that if I offended people, right? Go to, go to our next slide here. The if apology. If I offended you, I'm sorry that I offended you, right? Is that an apology? And we all know that. You, you know that. So, so when we do that to somebody, when we throw that back on somebody, when we throw the if apology, well, if what I did may have offended somebody, well, then I'm sorry that it may have offended somebody. That's not an apology. That's just a little bit of noise to make ourselves feel better, all right? The if apology. We need to be careful when we desire, when we try to come across using that as an apology. It's not something. It is not good. I am sorry if I offended anyone. I am sorry if you took that the wrong way. I am sorry, right? We, we go through with things like that. Not only that, though, there's, there's, the, there's the passive apology, right? When we, when we move on down the list, we not only have these ifs, we have this passive apology. And, and, that, and that part of the passive apology that we say, I, I, I'm sorry that we see things differently. Well, I just steamrolled over you and crushed you, all right? But, um, well, you're taking it a little too sensitively. We'll talk about that as a little bit as we go down, right? Down to number four there. We're a little too sensitive sometimes. But passive, it's, it's the ability to just say, well, I'm not really going to take the blame for it, but I'm, I'm sorry that if you took it the wrong way, if we misunderstood each other. It's not an apology. How about the, the I didn't mean it apology? Have any of us ever done that? Yeah, we're guilty of this, right? Well, well, I didn't mean to do it, all right? 
I'm sorry when I called you stupid. I thought you already knew. That's not nice, is it? Um, just as an aside with that one, I think my friend Aaron and I, I think we've shared that one with each other on occasion, right? Um, that, I'm sorry, that's not nice, right? There we go. We like to pick on each other. But, but when we do things like that, right? We, we do things like that. Now, that's, that's a silly one, just throwing it out there. But, but we do things. I'm, I'm sorry that you took that the wrong way because I really didn't mean it that way. You know, I, I really didn't mean to do it. I, I really didn't mean to be wrong when I, I, I really didn't mean to treat you that way when I said that. And we think it's all right to get away with stuff like that. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful. How about the year two sensitive apology? You know what? This one in today's world actually is a little bit difficult because we are so sensitive about everything. But sometimes we want to get away with our wrongdoing saying, you know what? You're just too sensitive. You take things way too, you take things way too sensitively. You're way too emotional. You're way too, it's way too close to you. And I didn't mean it like that at all. And I'm really okay. It's really your fault. And finally, the dark side apology, right? That's... Um, you're just out there and you just say the dumbest things. You say the worst things about people and then you just say, oh, well, it, it's, it's my medicine speaking. Oh, well, it, it's, it's, well, you know how I get when I drink. Oh, oh you, you know how I get when I'm around your in-laws. You, oh, excuse me, not your in-laws. Those would be my parents. All right, you know how I get when I'm around your family, right? It's things like that that happen in our lives and we laugh at those things because we realize you might not do them but you know people who do do them, right? You see, when it comes to confession, we, didn't, we can't be confessing like this. If we want to make, if our desire is to please God, if our desire is to make the relationship right, we need to learn how it is that we need to confess. So not only do we need to realize that we need to confess, not only do we realize that we need to avoid these five, uh, five non-apologies, we need to realize, you know what, there is a way to confess. And how is it that I need to go about confessing in my life? And this is a part that I think David gives us a great illustration. David gives us such great insight. He gives us such great, um, a, a great example as to how it is that we want to go about doing this in our lives. By the way, Matthew 7 is another passage. If you keep notes, you want to write that down. Matthew 7 is another passage where we want to be about this. Why? Because sometimes we can be so good at seeing, we see the little speck of dust in our neighbor's eyes. And we avoid that big, big beam that's in our own eye. And that's what Matthew talks about. That it, and that goes back to the idea where I was talking before. It's easy to see it in other people, so hard to see it in ourselves. And we need to be cautious we need to be aware of that. What does David do? You see, David, in his apology, the very first thing that he does is he takes responsibility for what it is, for what it is that he did. He takes responsibility for his sin. And if you and I, if we want to be about confessing in a proper manner, we need to be ready to take responsibility for our sin. We need to address the individuals that are involved, and we need to admit to the sin. What do I mean by that, by addressing the individuals that are involved? Well, if I sinned against my wife, I don't need to come up front here to everybody and confess to everybody here, unless I sinned against my wife in front of all of you, all right? Why? I need to go to the people that 
that are involved. If I sin at work and it's in front of everybody at work, I need to call them together. All right. What do I see in, in sports teams when, when one thing happens, when somebody gets in trouble, may, maybe, they, maybe an athlete, maybe one of the teammates has been caught drinking. You know what the coaches do? They bring that individual together. They bring the team together. And what does that individual do? He comes in and he talks to the team. And he says, you know what? I got caught and I let all of you down. We need to be individuals that are ready to go. We admit to the sin that we've done and we go back to them and we take the responsibility for our sin. How did David do it? David went to Nathan, as we read, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. What was that other passage that we read? For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. One of the great parts about that passage of scripture there is, is it brings us to the realization. Sometimes we think that our sin is just against God. Sometimes we think that it's just against the person out here. Part of the Ten Commandments, all right, is about our relationship vertically with God and our relationship horizontally out here with man. So when I sin, I need to realize that there is a God aspect of it. And David is so aware that he abused the authority that God had given him. He took advantage of the very power that God had given him. God, against you, I have sinned and done what is wrong. And we need to be individuals that are ready to take that responsibility. I need to recognize, along with that, right? I need to recognize, as David did right there, that my sin is against God. Sometimes you just, well, I'll just make it right over here and I think that's okay, all right? I go catch my friend over here and I, I'm good. We're, we're good. We're good, right? By the way, that's not an apology either. We're good, right? No, we need to recognize that my sin is against God. I need to avoid the if, but, and maybe. If, if I offended you. Well, but it was a rough day. The kids had made, I had been a really rough day at home or it had been a really rough day at work. And, but if you only knew the responsibility, if you only knew the weight that is on me, you'd understand why I did this. Or the maybe. Well, maybe I sinned against you. There, there's none of that with David. There's none of this idea, well, if, you know, God, if you hadn't made women so beautiful, I wouldn't have had this problem. You know, God, if she hadn't been out there doing, uh, if she hadn't been out bathing on her roof, uh, you, you know, it's just as much her fault as is mine, God. It's not really me, it's her. She should know better. That wasn't, the, uh, that wasn't the aspect that God allowed, was it? And it's not the response that David gave. David said, oh no, my sin. I have sinned. The next part that we need to realize in our lives, and this goes back to very, the very first week as well, we need to be about pleasing God. We need to desire a, relate, a right relationship with God and the others that are involved. We need to desire that I want to make sure that relationship with God is restored, and I want to make sure that my relationship with that other person is restored as well. As much as it is possible, as much as it is within me, I am to live at peace with others. And sometimes we blow all this because we just think it's okay. Let's just pass it over. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins, right? And you love me, right? So just cover my multitude of sins and be thankful. That's where grace comes from. People show grace. But we need to be aware and we need to desire a relationship with God and others. Acknowledge in that process. Acknowledge the hurt that you've caused. 
when we hurt somebody, go to them and let them know, you know what, I, I realize that what I did was wrong. And I realize that it hurt you. And I shouldn't have done that. And I, I need you to forgive me. I need you to see that I, I, am still, I am still an individual that God is working on. David words it like this in Psalm 51. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Listen to these words here. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. What is David saying there? There is restoration when we seek forgiveness. You see, in our part, if we are desiring to make that relationship right with God and with others, there will be restoration. And that restoration can bring joy. It can bring gladness. For some of us, that hurt is deep, and we don't know that that gladness, that that joy can be there, that it can come back. Hopefully, David gives you some hope. David gives you hope that that can happen. Then be willing to make right. Right? We need to be willing to make it right. We need to be willing to make the rights, make right my wrongs. All right? I need to be willing to accept consequences. Sometimes when I sin, there are consequences to that sin, and I need to accept that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You love me. You should let me, you should, you should trust me. No, no, no. You've lied. There are consequences to people who lie. They're not trusted right? It doesn't mean you're not forgiven. It doesn't mean that, the re- that, that there's not restoration, but it means that there is some sense that I am going to work through that. You need to work to regain that trust. If it is something where you have caused damage to something of somebody, right? What do we need to do? We need to restore that to them. We need to repay them for the damage that we have done. I need to be willing to make right my wrongs. And then finally, we need to pursue a change of heart, all right? Pursue a change of heart, not just a change of behavior. We're not talking about behavior modification, right? We, we, can go to, we, we can go on Amazon and we can find a lot of books on there that will sell and that will read well about behavior modification. And if you're about behavior modification, that's wonderful. But it doesn't meet the responsibilities. It doesn't meet the requirements of forgiveness in your life and in my life. What do I need to do? I need to be pursuing a change of heart. How did David say it? David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me or a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What is David looking at there? He's saying, God, create in me a clean heart. Change this. Why? Because it's so hard. Behavior modification, right? Think about this. Behavior modification works because you know this. When it comes to conflict, you react differently at work with your boss than you do at home with your spouse, right? Your boss says that at work. Okay, I'll go do that. Not a problem. Or maybe that's not what you say. Maybe your, your boss says that at work and you're like, huh, I'm not doing that. Tough luck. I, I don't know what you are. But hopefully it's, it's a response that's a good response. Why? Because it's work and you want to get paid. Sometimes at home, your spouse responds like that and you're like, huh, do it yourself, right? That, that's, a, that's our response. 
And it's not a godly response. And we think it's okay. But it should not be that way. David said, change my heart. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Sometimes we get so beat up, we don't think that's possible. David was an adulterer. He tried to cover it up. He murdered the other individual, one of the other individuals, to get away with what he wanted. He used his power in a manner that was not good for those around him. Do you think that maybe when David says, create in me a pure heart, O God, he was aware how great of a sinner he was? Sometimes that's the problem in our lives. We, we don't think we're that great of sinners. And thus we're just stuck with people around us who are great sinners. And it's their fault. We need to be cautious with that in our lives. A number of years ago I had the opportunity, let me close with this. I had an opportunity to take a class with a guy by the name of Paul, uh, by a professor by the name of Paul Tripp. Paul David Tripp is a rather interesting individual. If, you have any, if you've read books, you, you know that Paul David Tripp he is a writer. He writes books about family. He writes books about conflict. He taught at, uh, well, he was a pastor for a number of years at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, which is a rather prominent church in Philadelphia, or was a prominent church in the Philadelphia area. And he uh, taught at Westminster Th uh, Theological Seminary. And I had the opportunity to take a class, a seminary class with him. Um, this goes back quite a few years. I'm kind of old. But anyway... In that class, what he always wanted to talk about was getting to the heart of the matter. And this is a quote from Paul Tripp that he uses, and I want you to realize this. Conflict with others is one of God's mysterious, counterintuitive ways of rescuing us from ourselves. You see, in the middle of this Christian walk, if you are a follower of Christ, in the middle of this thing we, called, we call our Christian walk, in the middle of this thing we call sanctification, God puts your family around you. And you know that within family it's easy to sin. Within the middle of this process called our Christian walk, God put people around us. And you know if there's people around us, it's easy to sin. And yet within the middle of this life, God is looking to use conflict that exists, what? To bring us closer to him so that our lives can be lives that honor God in all that we do. What must we do for rule three? We got to be individuals who are willing to apologize. We need to be individuals who are ready to seek forgiveness. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, I say thank you for each of the individuals that are here. Lord, I, I do pray your blessing upon them. And Lord, I ask that you would help us in our lives, in our walk, that we would be, Lord, followers of you that are willing to do what it is that you have called us to do. May we be willing to say, Lord, we will follow you even if it means doing the hard things at times. And this one can be so hard, Lord, because it may not turn out the way we want it to. And yet, God, you call us to do it. We thank you for your servant, David, who sets an example to us as to how we should live, as to how we should behave in our lives. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us this week. In the midst of conflict, may we be individuals who want to please you. Lord, may your grace, 
May your favor, may your mercy shine down on us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.